baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. Thanks once again for joining us on KCBS In-Depth. I'm Jane McMillan. Teamwork, consensus building, it takes a village. All wise and accurate adages to describe a successful recipe for meeting a big challenge like climate change and creating a healthy planet for generations to come. But in our polarized nation right now, pulling together is hard to come by, which is why our own California Academy of Sciences has embarked upon a mission to make tackling our environmental challenges easier, more inclusive, and in the process, it might just offer a roadmap of collaboration and civility we can use in all of our national and global endeavors. Here to tell us about Planet Vision is Cal Academy Executive Director, Dr. Jonathan Foley. Dr. Foley, as always, we're really happy to have you back on In-Depth. You're our go-to environmental biodiversity guy. You're our scientist. Let's um, start with this new initiative that you've got going at Cal Academy and, and you personally. And it's Planet Vision, but it's all about sustainability. And mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you to differentiate um, maybe what you're kicking off here from the term sustainability as a buzzword, because now we're seeing sustainability on food packages and we're seeing it uh, in clothing and we're seeing, you know, it's become almost the new all natural. Yeah. So I want to hear from you what you mean by sustainability and how Planet Vision is seeking to really ingrain this in all of us. Yeah, well, the good thing about the word is it can mean anything you want. The bad thing about the word is it means anything you want. Um, And personally, I hate this word. You know, think about it. If somebody came up to you and asked, you know, hey, how's your marriage? And you said, oh, it's sustainable. You're like, oh, man, that sucks. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, like, or that sounds good terrible. For you. <laughs> yeah, or like, you know, that doesn't sound good at all. It sounds like, yeah, well, it's staying about the same. So I'd rather use words like, you know, thriving and better. And the idea of Planet Vision is uh, it is based in sustainability, the idea we want to um, make the world sustainable, but I, I want to make it even better. So that's why we use the word vision. And the idea of Planet Vision is to say, let's pull people back together and try to figure out how can we share a better vision of the future together. And uh, the idea here is that I, you know, I don't care what your politics are. If you vote for Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton, whatever. I haven't met anybody uh, who doesn't believe in a, that the future should be better for the next generation, that we ought to leave behind a better world for our children and grandchildren and so on. Uh, everybody believes that. And we have a lot more in common than we often think. So why don't we tap into that and ask the question, so what would it take to build a better future for the next generation and beyond uh, so that they and the natural world can thrive together? And I think that's, a, that's kind of a vision that we lack today right now. What we have in the environmental uh, discussion right now is a lot of polarization, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of fear, 
a lot of discussion about problems and a whole lot of conflict. And that's not going to solve the problem. Uh, what we need to do is replace that with uh, more hope, more solutions, not just the problems, and also opportunities for people to come back together and collaborate and really work together to build that better future. Can I challenge you on on that we might all be on the same page than not? Mm-hmm. I just want to ask if we all talk, look at the headlines and, and that we're all on the same page about wanting to leave a better world for our kids and grandkids, natural world too, and our ability to thrive here. People do have different visions about what thriving means, right? Oh, and yeah. so, so mm-hmm. the folks who are happy about Bears Ears or national parks being open for drilling and mining, that's their version of thriving. It's not it's not someone else's version of thriving, or um, drilling off the coast to extract more oil. It's going to make gas cheaper and life easier. And that is the vision of thriving for some people. So do you really believe that most of us can come together and we are on the same page when we think about what is important in preserving in our world? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a very good point. But I I think we feel more divided than we actually are. Um, And and no offense, but I think the media as a whole, not here, of course, uh, (laughs) but a lot of our media, especially cable news and things on Twitter, and also our professional politicians, especially in Washington, are deliberately dividing us. And they're shouting uh, to the 5% on either side of the spectrum. But there's often 90% of us in the middle who are actually pretty reasonable. Uh, I've never met anybody who thinks we should be drilling in national parks or off the coast who didn't have an economic interest in that themselves. And poll after poll after poll shows the vast majority of Americans think that national parks, for example, are a good thing, that clean water is a good idea, and that and the vast majority of Americans by far actually believe that climate change is real, but they're feeling paralyzed because they don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we feel somehow that, oh, it must be 50% of Americans think that climate change isn't real. It's actually the closer number is something like 8%. Uh, Most of us either know it's real and are very worried about it or think it probably could be real, but we don't know what to do about it, so we just put it out of our minds. So these aren't like 50-50, you know, battle to the death uh, kind of fights we're having in America. The vast majority of us, about I would say 80%, are really on board with most kind of environmental issues. But the problem is, in my opinion, the environmental community isn't speaking to them. When you have a campaign from a a very powerful environmental organization, let's say, that uses um, known figures like Al Gore or Leonardo DiCaprio or whatever, and I love those guys, but we know what they're going to say. And they they both come with a lot of baggage, let's just admit it. Um, And they often use fearful images, like pictures of drowning polar bears and hurricanes and icebergs collapsing into the ocean and fires. And what that does is it activates the environmental base, which is about 8% of the country, to write a check, to show up at a protest and write letters to congressmen and all that kind of thing. But you got 8% activated with that kind of fear-based messaging. But you've just pissed off another 8% of the country that listen to Rush Limbaugh instead. But again, the middle 80, 84% of us are just so tired of it. We're hiding under our beds. We're fearful. We're just paralyzed with anxiety. We don't know what to do. And so what Planet Vision is trying to do is replace that narrative and say, wait a minute, stop. 
uh, let's stop being so polarized. Let's see that actually the big majority of us in the middle, and I put myself there too, um, realize that we've got to take care of our economy. We've got to have thriving cities, but we also need to keep an eye on the environment. We need to leave behind a better world for our children and grandchildren. And there are sensible, practical solutions right in the middle that can help the economy and help the environment. No problem. So let's ignore the extremes, focus on the middle, and get to work. And to do that, you've got to replace hope uh, for fear. You've got to talk about solutions instead of just the problems again and again. And maybe show where collaborations are actually happening rather than all the um, conflicts that seem to be incited uh, by our politicians and some media voices. And when you do that, it turns out that it seems to resonate with folks. Uh, we've tested this a lot at the Academy. You know, Thousands and thousands of people have gone through our building every week. And we'll just sit and ask them, like, hey, if we, you know, when we talk about the environment this way, how do you hear it versus another way? And it's amazing how just kind of changing the frame a little bit really opens up the conversation. And um, it, it empowers people. People feel less defensive. They feel like, hey, there's something we can do. And when they look around the world and say, hey, Elon Musk is doing some kind of cool stuff. And, hey, Michael Bloomberg, you know, this Republican former mayor of New York is doing some pretty amazing stuff. And, hey, Pope Francis is talking. You know, they suddenly feel like, hey, uh, that's a team I might want to be on. That's a positive team of people who are trying to make the world better. And I want to be part of that. Can you convey that sense of urgency, though, that that you, what you call some of the extreme uh, folks um are, are trying to get across that this isn't something we can diddle around with, especially, you know, climate change. We're, we're on a clock. We're on a... Well, right. Um, so paradox, you're right. And so some environmental groups, um, especially the more uh, kind of uh, more extreme environmental groups, use that fear kind of mm -hmm. rhetoric uh, because, the, uh, and I think they do it, um, you know, with good intentions. I don't think it's necessarily manipulative, but I think it's because they're frustrated and, you know, it's like, oh my God, we have to act now. You know, the problem is, honestly, if you really look at the data, they're actually slowing everything down. The biggest limit to us solving our environmental problems in America today has nothing to do with science or politics or technology or markets. It has to do with culture. Like, we could have the best silver bullet technology in the world. In fact, we already do. We have, like, solar and wind and battery technology and amazing new cars and amazing new technologies for almost everything we need to do. And yet, we seem to be stopped because we're going to argue about it on Twitter instead. We've got politicians who want to win votes and get on the cable news more by shouting instead of rolling up their sleeves and solving problems. Bipartisanship is dead. Uh, civility is dead. The ability to come together and have consensus around things is dead. We're letting you know, 5% on the left and 5% on the right hijack 100% of the country. And I'm tired of it. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Dr. John Foley, Executive Director of the California Academy of Sciences. His and the Academy's new push for collaboration on climate change is called Planet Vision. I'm Jane McMillan. So Planet Vision looks at food, water, energy. That's mm -hmm. the three main pillars. Yep. And, you know, being in California, um, we're already aware of what we should be doing or we should be aware of what we should be doing to conserve water. Yep. And a lot of us are already interested in solar and wind and converting mm -hmm. our homes. And California uh, governmental agencies, cities and counties are pretty good about, so far, some of them, about you know helping homeowners do some of these things. 
food is a really interesting mm-hmm. topic, though, and it's the one thing we all <laughs> we all do, along with you know breathing and drinking water.、Mm-hmm. Um, but food is also a huge business, from agriculture to yeah, the yeah. middle、uh, distribution centers to the producers to the grocery stores. I mean, so. Let's start with food, and in this foodie area, everyone's interested in that. So, <laughs> yeah,、uh, how, what's what does Planet Vision see as? The, what do you see as the issue, and some of these collaborative solutions that you talk about? Well, exactly, but it, maybe I could back up a little bit if you don't、of、mind course, first,、yeah. because I want to just、uh, say why we're focusing on food, water, and energy the most. Please.、Uh, it turns out that if、um, you know, you could build a list of hundreds of big environmental problems, and it looks scary. You've got climate change and all those problems in one area. You might have the loss of biodiversity and ecosystems in another bucket, and then we have the decline of our really critical natural resources like fresh water and soils and forest and fisheries in another bucket. And all of those things are happening at the same time, and so it looks scary. But what we really wanted to point out is the vast majority of these big, scary environmental problems all boil down to just those three things. How we use and produce our food, our water, and our energy, and it turns out within any one of those—food, water, and energy—there、uh, are about five, major, three to five major things that we should be focusing on, and they're often not the ones that get the most attention. It、hmm. turns out. Okay.、Uh, but if we focus on three to five kind of solutions in three areas. We've got about eighty percent of all the problems solved. It's kind of an eighty-twenty rule. Well, I think and, I、know. think everyone wants to know then. Yeah, absolutely. What do you? How do well, we solve eighty percent of these problems? Well, I'll tell you too.、Uh, example, you mentioned food. So food is、uh, one of the biggest things we do to the planet overall.、Um, it's the biggest use of land by far. About、uh, almost forty percent of all the land on Earth is used to grow food. All the world's cities are less than one percent of the Earth's land. So, you know, food is huge use of land, and the other creatures that used to live there, of course, in terms of biodiversity and so on. So that's big. It's also the biggest user of water. About seventy percent of the world's water, eighty percent here in California, is、uh, of all the water we use is used to irrigate crops, and it's actually one of the biggest emitters of greenhouse gases too. If you think about deforestation in the tropics to create more farmland, but also the methane that comes out of cows and rice fields, and also a funny little gas called nitrous oxide, which comes out of farm fields when we overfertilize them. But anyway, but that's what the science tells us. But if you look at the solutions. Uh, here in California and a lot of the country,、um, we、uh, talk about food a lot and the foodie movement. And、uh, there are a lot of great things we're doing. A lot of people will talk to you immediately. Oh, you want to solve the environmental problems of food? We've got to be all organic. Some other people would argue with that, say, "No, we need GMOs because they're better for the environment." And others will say, "It has to be local. You know, I want it grown within a hundred miles, and so on and so on." And I look at all that and say, "Yeah, that's great, but..." The big numbers, actually, if you do the math, is something entirely different. Huh? It's food waste.、Mm-hmm. About forty percent of all the food grown on the planet, not just in the U.S. and the world, is never eaten, and、uh, that's incredible. And that's food plus all the resources it took to grow it—land, water, the ecosystems you impacted, and the climate you changed. Forty percent of all that activity is just thrown away, and that's whether it's local or distant. Whether that's organic, conventional, GMO, they're all wasted about forty percent. Surely we can do something about that.、Um, very few countries do. It turns out, Japan, Taiwan, a few places are much better about food waste than we are. 
and we're about an average around the world, it turns out. But couldn't we tackle that, reducing food waste and improve food safety in our like supermarkets and restaurants and schools and cafeterias? Could we put more money into you know tracing food and making sure it gets where it needs to go on time and isn't thrown away? Could we consumers be better about maybe eating smaller portions, not throwing so much away? Uh, or we could you know get a good set of Tupperware and make sure we eat our doggy bags and leftovers and that kind of thing. And also, you know, learning how to preserve foods better and so on and so on and so on. It turns out there are huge things we can do in food waste that save us money, are good for us, and don't get into this polarized debate about, you know, GMOs or organic or whatever. And so that's number one. Uh, number two, and, and the science fully supports that, it is by far the biggest food solution is cutting back on food waste. The second one is our diets. Uh, no matter how you slice and dice it, eating a lot of meat, especially red meat, uh, beef, is just not good for the planet. I don't care how you grow it, if it's you know local or not, feedlot or grass-fed. Yeah, some are better than others, but there's no beef in the world, and, and no scientist in the world would tell you that um, otherwise. There's no version of beef in the world that's truly sustainable. There's just some that are less unsustainable than others, like grass-fed is better but it's not good for the environment. It's just less bad for the environment in a lot of ways, in my opinion, anyway. So we could all cut back on red meat a little bit and make sure what we do eat, we don't waste, linking to that first solution. And uh, that would do a lot. And also, guess what? Our doctors are telling us the same thing. Yep. We probably should yep. cut back on red meat a little bit. Um, doesn't mean we have to all become vegan overnight. But could we maybe, you know, kind of cut back a little bit, maybe make it a side portion instead of the main course? Maybe, you know, if you eat beef three times a week, how about just trying two or one? You know, that's fine. Um, so just small changes in that kind of thing can make a huge, huge difference. And then when you do eat beef, maybe try the grass-fed and the local. That's great. But just reducing the amount altogether is not a bad idea. And even switching from beef to chicken or pork has a huge environmental benefit, it turns out. So it doesn't have to be extreme, but some changes in diet would certainly be helpful. Then when you get to the third one, which is where all the heat of arguments gets about, you know, local and organic or GMO and that kind of thing. And I'll stick my neck out and say, yeah, local food and organic tend to be overall slightly better for the environment. They're a lot better for the local economy. I think they're a lot better for the farmers and the people who pick and grow our food. And so I'm a big fan. But when you run the math, uh, they're not exactly huge solutions uh, that are silver bullets. You have to start with food waste and our diets. And then we talk about how we grew the stuff in the first place. But let's make sure we don't throw away 40% of it first. We're talking about Planet Vision. It's a new endeavor by the California Academy of Sciences to bring us together to work on the health of the planet through water, energy, and food practices. And my guest is Cal Academy Executive Director, Dr. John Foley. I'm Jane McMillan. You know, the things that you're talking about, uh, the food waste and uh, changing habits here and there, mm -hmm. um, they're all doable things, just like saving water and saving energy and all the tips we know that we're supposed to do. Do you ever find, though, that folks want to feel like they're doing something bigger? Yes. That maybe the problem is that we think, yeah, okay, I could do that, but is it really going to change the world? You know, that you, yep. we all want to dig in and do something big. Well, that's where Planet Vision is different than other campaigns that have come out before to talk about these environmental solutions. Because we talked about food, energy, and water, and we created solutions at different levels. We have solutions for here's what you can do in your home. 
And those are those things we just talked about, for example. And um, a lot of people want to do those, but they, they scratch their heads and say, well, my little you know, Tupperware container isn't going to save the world. And so you kind of tune out and say, well, it doesn't matter. It's a drop in the bucket or a drop in the ocean, maybe. Uh, it turns out that's not really true. Uh, if enough people do it, it really does make a big difference. But we also created a Planet Vision for like communities and a Planet Vision for business and a Planet Vision for policymaking. And we link all of those solutions together. So people can say, yeah, today at lunch, maybe all I did was stop a little food waste from going into the bin. But I managed to convince my organization to do better um, when we do catering at my business to make sure we any leftover food is sent to a um, you know like a homeless shelter or taken home by employees. So I, I took my food waste solution and I multiplied it by a hundred because of my work or something or at a school or whatever. You know we all have a lot more power than we think, and even those actions may say, well, that's still pretty small, but. But Planet Vision is also working to influence businesses and policymakers. So you feel like, hey, I'm not alone here. I'm joining the same team, uh, let's say, in energy. Uh, I can serve energy at home and I'm getting a new hybrid car or whatever. You're joining the same team that Elon Musk is on and Michael Bloomberg is on and Pope Francis is on. And, you know, I get, like we talked about before, and, you know, hey, that's a team I want to be on. And so I think when people feel like they're doing it all themselves, it's where we kind of get that disconnect saying, well, my little actions at home all by themselves aren't enough. And guess what? You're right if you were all by yourself, but you're not. This is all about messaging. This is communication, what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. It's all about um, uh, having people uh, feel comfortable with this topic, understand this topic, and know yeah. how to participate. That's an easier sell in some areas than others. What's the communication plan mm -hmm. for getting a bigger team in other areas uh, of the country and the world? Yeah, well, um, so we launched this thing called Planet Vision uh, in late January, on the 24th. And we did something kind of unusual for a museum. So what we did is we were launching it on three different channels at the same time. We've never done that before. Uh, we opened a small exhibit you can see at the Cal Academy over in Golden Gate Park. And please do. Come on by. Um, it's pretty small, but it's something you'd engage with and has some screens and some inter hands-on interactives. And there's also different times of day somebody in front who can show you practical solutions like here's how you change your shower head or here's how you change a thermostat in your home because a lot of people don't know how to do that stuff and we can help be happy to so that's kind of cool but at the same day we also launched a digital channel so planetvision.com uh, at planetvision on uh, twitter and at facebook if you want to follow along and we're gaining a large audience that goes beyond the bay area that way and building that out and then the third channel is uh, I'm going to spend a lot more time going around the country speaking to larger audiences and maybe kind of influential business people and philanthropists and policymakers about the same framework targeting their interest. And we'll put that to work as well, along with some other writing and speaking and so on. So we're kind of trying to go all out. But that's just phase one. Those are the uh, um, kind of the Bay Area and our Cal Academy audiences that we can reach digitally and in person. Great. But what I want to do is within a year, we want to make 100 copies of that exhibit and give them away to museums and aquariums and zoos or whatever, or heck, uh, airports. I don't care. I want to put another 100 of those in high-traffic, trusted locations around the country and train the people at those places to interact with their guests because they know best. 
uh, how, like the you know Houston Museum or the airport or something like that who knows best how to engage their neighbors. Of course they do. Uh, and in Boston or Austin, Texas or Seattle or Indianapolis, it doesn't matter. And what's kind of interesting about that is it turns out, I think I've mentioned this in previous programs, but museums are like the most trusted institutions left in the country. Mm. We get about an 80 to 90 percent approval rating right Gosh, now. Gosh, wish media got that. Yeah, I'm afraid you don't right <laughs> now. Well, I'm sure your channel does, but most don't. Um, but yeah, it's crazy when people don't trust the government or business or media and we're so fractured. It turns out kind of local civic organizations like libraries, parks, museums especially, people still trust those because they're run by your neighbors. They're people who don't seem to have an agenda. They're just trying to help educate kids and be a nice place to be and serve their community. And we see a lot of people. Uh, we see about a million and a half people a year, and we you know, folks stay for about three or four hours. That's great. Um, and you multiply that by the thousands of other science museums out there. We can really have a kind of a nice face-to-face -face engagement with your neighbors nationally by just kind of giving away stuff from the Cal Academy. It's funny. Um, my mom used to say, you know, we're, we're born with two ears and one mouth, and we should use them in that ratio. <laughs> Very and so, wise. Yeah. So if you kind of listen to, you know, figure out what, what are people's real concerns, what do they want to talk about, you can reach almost anybody. And around the environment, I think we can do that. Planet Vision, can they go to, folks go to uh, calacademy.org and get the yep. lowdown on Planet Vision, including the action guide and... Yeah, exactly. So uh, you can go to uh, calacademy.org and learn about the entire offerings of the Cal Academy. But we have a shortcut, too. You can go to planetvision.com, uh, where you can go learn about our food, energy, and water solutions. And there's an instant uh, little guide, uh, kind of action guide for homeowners and, and apartment owners and or renters and just regular folks. That's uh, very simple, very readable, no big deal. Uh, but also follow us on social media, you know, at Cal Academy um, and at Planet Vision on the usual suspects of, you know, Twitter, Facebook and all the rest. And so we should be pretty easy to find. And um, we'll be uh, really excited to get feedback because we, we launched this uh, in January. We're going to do kind of a shakedown cruise with it over the next six months before we think about now how do we t give this away to other institutions around the country. By the way, one of our neighbors uh, in Monterey, the Monterey Bay Aquarium, great organization, my second favorite aquarium in the world. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, That's fair. I, I have to say that. you know. But anyway, they're really great. Love those folks. Um, they, um, I don't know if people know this, but they're the ones who are behind um, curating the Seafood Watch kind of program yes. that mm -hmm. a lot of people get yeah. cards or a little app on your phone. And you find those all over the nation. They also have used their kind of sister organizations like other aquariums and, and even restaurants and celebrity chefs to kind of carry their message out into the country about, hey, if you care about the oceans and the future of our planet, maybe you should try to eat this kind of fish instead of that kind of fish. And uh, that's had a real impact on changing the conversation and changing what people are buying and how they're eating. And uh, again, they use this model like Monterey kind of creates the content, but then they, they give it away for free as far and wide as they possibly can. So we're kind of taking a page from their book a little too. And uh, learning from how they did that as well. I think people will be happy to know that if they participate, um, they can give you some feedback and be, yeah. and, and be of help as well, this, this rolls out. Right. Well, we want it to work. And uh, so we did a lot of testing with folks uh, at the academy who walked in and, you know, uh, people from lots of different backgrounds from different parts of the country who visit us, too. And, and uh, realizing that, um, hey, these issues don't have to be polarizing. Let's see if we can pull people back together, recognize that we can work together 
And the things like, you know, cutting back on food waste in our big cafeterias and restaurants and supermarkets is kind of a no, you know, no regrets kind of thing. Like, why not? Of course we want to do that. It's like kind of no, no duh, you know, let's do that one. Or energy efficiency and, and like renewable energy. It's not some liberal conspiracy. The first city in the country to be 100% renewably energy powered is Georgetown, Texas, one of the deepest red cities in the deepest red state you could find. And it wasn't about hugging trees or that kind of thing. It's like, it just made economic sense. It's cheaper and cleaner and it worked. So um, let's just kind of get to the practical stuff and keep the politicians out of it and we'll get something done. Cut out the middleman no, and yeah. woman. <laughs> Dr. Jonathan Foley, as always, thanks so much. Well, really thanks for having me it. here and I'll look forward to chatting again sometime. We will soon. Dr. Jonathan Foley is the executive director of the California Academy of Sciences, where you can find more about Planet Vision. And we'll have all the links on our website, kcbsradio.com. I'm Jane McMillan. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program for all news 740 and FM 106.9 KCBS. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.